0: Welcome to Black Lines and Billables, a podcast about legal technology and innovation and law firm associate success and development. Today, we're exploring a subject that sits right at the intersection of those two core topics and discussing one law firm's innovative new approach to training its associates. I'm here with David Wolfson, Executive Director of Millbank Tweed, Hadley, and McCloy LLP, and we're going to be talking a little bit about the Millbank at Harvard training program. David, thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Why don't we begin by telling our listeners a little bit about MillBank and a little bit about you, your background, and how you came into your current role.
1: Sure. So MillBank is a, a large law firm, about 700 lawyers. We like to think of it as a small, large law firm. Offices in New York, uh, in Asia, in Europe, uh, Latin America. Does the standard type of law that big law firms do. I'm a partner here at MillBank. I have been here for a long time. I was a mergers and acquisitions partner. And then about a year and a half ago, I was asked to take over the executive director role, which is essentially a, a management of the day-to-day operations of the firm throughout all areas, whether it be IT, HR, but also recruiting and pro bono and professional development. Excellent. Well, to
0: set the stage, why don't you give us a 30,000-foot marketing brochure version of what Millbank at Harvard is all about?
1: So Millbank at Harvard is an off-site training program that begins – if you join Millbank in your beginning of your fourth year, you go up to Harvard Law School and you spend a week up there being trained by Harvard Law School and Harvard Business School professors. Then you do it again in your fifth year for a week, in your sixth year for your we- a week, and then in your seventh year for about four and a half days. Um, and we teach a whole host of whether it be business issues, legal issues, management issues. Um, and uh, the key aspect of it, obviously, is it starts in the fourth year, which we can talk about and um, that it's off-site. Excellent. Um, how long have you been doing it? Where did it come from? I, I've i been doing it since 2011 when I was the chair of the Professional Development Committee uh, and I was practicing M&A law. It came from an idea from our, a, a German partner who was on the executive committee at the time, Norbert, and the focus was really that while law schools do a lot of good things, they don't do a particularly great job at training lawyers to do what we do at a large law firm. Um, Part of that is some of the limitations around law schools, but part of that's also that they're just not practicing lawyers when they get taught. Um, And so our goal was to teach our lawyers the things that they needed to know about business and finance and leadership and management so that they could excel in delivery of client service while at the same time creating a very positive culture within Millbank and you know, pragmatically indicating to the market what type of law firm we were and hopefully recruiting the right people and, and improving our brand. Great. Well,
0: well, let's dive in a little bit. Let, let's talk a little bit of the details. So you, you start in your fourth year, you said, yes. at the firm. When you show up, what are you learning? How does it actually work at practice? Right.
1: Well, firstly, everyone shows up. So that means that everyone in a fourth-year class, whether they're in M&A or whether they're in leverage finance litigation and whether they're in Sao Paulo or Munich or Hong Kong, So you show up, you appear in a classroom in Boston, and then you spend usually four classes a day, 90 minutes at a time with Harvard Business School professors or law school professors, though the majority are business school professors or professors that teach in both. And we focus on a number of different areas. As the lawyers become more senior, we tend to focus more on the management and the business generation side of things. And when they're junior, we tend to focus more on the sort of key aspects of finance and accounting and valuation. Interesting. Why did the firm
0: make the choice to start doing this sort of formalized, week-long off-site program in the fourth year as opposed to the third or right out of the gate? Yeah, the no, years?
1: it's a good, very good question. In many ways, there would be sort of a, a, a preference, by, for some at least, to do it earlier. One, because a sense of we can market ourselves as, hey, we give you this right off the bat. Two, honestly, it's probably easier for us to pull our lawyers out of practice into a training session in their first week or their first six months because they have less heavily utilized and their rates are much are much cheaper. But um, we felt very strongly that would be a mistake. We feel that the first three or so years of law firm practice is overwhelming enough in order for you just to, to get through it and understand what you're doing and that most importantly, that we should deliver the information to you when you're best able to contextualize it. That is, why do you need to know about valuation? Well, you don't have any idea of that when you're a first-year, but you do understand it when you're a fourth-year because you've done deals, you've done litigation where you've seen a need for it. Also, when you go away from Harvard in your fourth to fifth-year, you're using the skills, and so they're not um, atrophying, and then when you come back, you understand what you learned and why, and you apply it to the next level. Excellent. Um, you've, you've done it for five or six years
0: now. Uh-huh. So you, there's quite a bit of learning, I imagine, that's taken place. And uh-huh. I know from our previous conversations, there have been some changes. How did the, the early curriculum or the, the first kind of cut at this change um, once you started running the program and getting some concrete feedback?
1: Sure. Um, and we're, we Interestingly, we designed Module 1, specifically, and we had a sense exactly of what we wanted to do for Module 2, 3, and 4. When we got to design Module 2, we realized it was very different from what we envisioned, and by the time we got to Module 3, it didn't look anything like it, and by the time we got to Module 4, we were just making it up. And then we went through Module 4, we actually went back and we scrubbed it all and moved everything around and sort of rejigged everything. Um, there were some subjects that we thought would work well that didn't, partly because um, we realized that either the associates didn't respond to it or that we honestly, we thought, well, the law school would be really good at that subject. But when we actually did it, we realized, "Mm, actually, we can do that well enough ourselves. We've got lawyers who've been practicing in that field for 20 years, and they're just as good, if not better, in some areas. So the real focus was to pick things that would be delivered in a way by the professors better than we could, that was relevant to everybody. Because again, we're dealing with all of our lawyers from all offices. Well, well,
0: this is a great segue because I think the most interesting part of this discussion that we should have is talking a little bit about the lessons learned and how it's affected your view of law firm training more generally. And I'm intrigued by the point you just made about trying to distinguish between what the firm does really well and can do best for itself versus Mm -hmm. others. So as a starting point for this conversation, let's take a step back. What do you view – as kind of the biggest macro challenge facing law firms when it comes to associate training? I mean, what, what is kind of the big obstacle that you think firms struggle with? Um, does it have to do with time limitations? Does it have to do with uh, competencies, for example? I know you, you find a lot of value in, in getting the business folks involved in training these kids. Is, is there anything that was a particular obstacle you were trying to navigate around in putting this program together.
1: Well, I'd like to, I'd like to take claim credit for having the foresight to have said that we designed the program with the intent to achieve the things that we have managed to achieve. But to be absolutely honest, I think I'd more accurately state I can now tell you all the things that we've got out of it that I didn't realize we'd get out of it till we did it. Mm-hmm. So to go back to your first point, which is what are the hardest things? Um, obviously, time, in that you can have the most brilliant lawyers who want to teach, and who want to organize CLEs and courses. But when work goes up and down, um, their ability to be available and to actually do it becomes um, very tenuous. And so you can design a program. It's very hard to keep it together. Secondly, you have to ensure that the people you have who are great lawyers are great teachers. And that's not always the case. Um, They may be really terrific lawyers, but their ability to sit in a room and actually educate people in the right way. So it's not a surprise to me, for example, when I go into the room at Harvard and I have this business school professor just and the law school professors just knock the socks off the people in the room as in an educational experience in the way that they master the material, lead people to talk, teach them how to communicate, that it's a far, far better educational experience than even the most you know naturally inclined lawyer would, would, would try and do in, in our environment. So, you know, having... The quality and having the time. But also, I think it's a question of the consistency. And this is something that I feel has been very valuable for us. I mean, one of the first challenges of the program was what could we teach that everyone would need to know? The way we tend to think about law firm education is I'm in the MA group, I'm going to teach you about MA documents. You're in the capital markets group, you're going to learn about securities filings. Is it relevant that I know about security filings? Maybe, maybe not. But now let's go and bring in a litigator. Oh, let's bring in a trust and estates lawyer. Let's bring in someone from Germany who's in a different type of public company practice. How do I design a program where each one of those people will have something relevant? And law firms won't do that. It's not what they do. What they might do is reasonably good training within particular groups, but that's not what we're doing at Millbank at Harvard. What we're doing is we're taking every single individual, whichever office or practice area they're in, and giving them exactly the same educational experience. And that gives us some very, very powerful consequences. One is it means that um, our culture is consistent, the way we manage people, the way we train people, the way we teach people to give feedback is consistent. That means that our lawyers work together in the same way, and it means that they're the way they approach our clients is the same way Um, to be able to do that and have a sort of a similar educational experience and a similar cultural experience for a large law firm in the office across different areas with strong partners that will be available to teach and give, you know, it's very very difficult the other thing of course is that we take our lawyers off site for a week and they're not here, Mm -hmm. they're somewhere else Um, when I've spoken to other people at other law firms or law schools, they always go, you do that. You know, couldn't you have done it on the weekends or couldn't you have done it on a Thursday night? And it's a painful thing to, um, to do in a sense, but it solves the problem. How do you ensure that everyone is paying attention, interacting with each other and is focused on the materials without taking them out of this environment? I mean, the key to the program is that we take them to Boston that is not where any of our offices are. And because of that, we get a, an attention to, to the, the experience that would be impossible to replicate if we tried to do it in-house. Uh, and I think that's another real advantage of the program.
0: Yeah, and that's very interesting, and it certainly kind of makes a lot of sense in terms of the attention to bring to bear. And I was also very interested by the kind of acculturation effects that you mm. and the ability to bring everyone together. As mm. you and I have spoken about previously... Just I know from my own experience and practice, it's really powerful to feel like you have personal connections to different people and different practices and different offices, and it's actually very
1: important for the work product. It, it's it's and it's it's <coughs> such a beautiful thing to watch develop when I go down there and I see it, and it comes out in two ways in my mind. The first is you simply get to know someone. So, for example, when we have our class come back in the third year when in the sixth years, we don't even uh, we don't we don't arrange for any nighttime. Ex- uh, dinners or anything. We just say, go do what you want. Because the moment they see each other, they immediately go out to dinner, have drinks. They know each other. They're friends. And the result of that is that, obviously, if they need to ask a question about a German legal issue, or a German lawyer needs to ask a question about a UK legal issue, or we're working on a deal together and there's an issue, there's a problem, there's a miscommunication over email or on a conference call or whatever, and there's some tension in the team, we can just cut right through that. So, so that's brilliant. But the other thing that's really great and I think is one of the hardest things for young lawyers to do nowadays, is that in order to do well in large law firms at this point, and it's so much tougher now to do well than it was when I came through the system, um, you really have to understand your business. And you really have to understand how you bring in business, what the, um, the business case is within your law firm, what your strategy is, how you distinguish yourselves from other law firms, how you do a pitch, all of those things. And there's a lot of Energy spent by law firms and third party providers saying, We will teach you to network. We will teach you to do an elevator pitch. We will teach you to do all of this stuff. And I'm not opposed to it. I just would like to take a moment and recognize that it's really hard. And, you know, generally a 90 minute little program doesn't do that. What tends to work best, in my experience, is that. If you have a deep understanding of what it is you're pitching and you truly believe what you're saying because it happens to be true and you know it and you understand it, that gives you generally a leg up. So, for example, when you spent two or three um, sessions at Harvard, and some of the sessions, for example, are taught uh, by business professors on strategy, and one of the sessions involves actually talking uh, each the, the associates are grouped up and they talk about the strategy within their practice areas and how they can p- compare to other law firms and what are the strengths and the weaknesses and how do they distinguish themselves. So if you're now in an environment as a sixth year and you suddenly find yourself, even though you're in the corporate group in Germany, for some reason in a room full of people who are doing in an energy deal in the United States and you know Millbanks project finance or energy M&A practice or their renewable energy or their solar practice. You know it because you've talked about it. You spent time with the people who do it. You understand what all the other groups do. You can now actually assert yourself and authentically discuss something of value about your law firm to someone else. And generally when you're a fourth year, fifth year or sixth year, I have found in my experience that it's much easier to market someone else than it is yourself, especially the type of clients that we're trying to get. I mean, the ability of a fourth year or fifth year to sell someone and hiring them, you know, four years out, it can be done, but that's an exception. But um, But if you switch it to, well, why you should hire this lawyer in my office who's a partner and does all of this work, or why you should talk about us. So back to your original point. The time spent together not only ensures a, a consistency of culture um, and, and product, but it allows our lawyers to really understand who we are, what our story is, and what we do and, in a way that they do simply by osmosis. And as a result of that, they can then go out and actually, hopefully, you know, authentically communicate with other people about that. And that is something, again, back to what I said earlier, I'd love to tell you that when I or we put this program together, we knew that it would increase our culture, create consistency, allow us to have better sort of understanding of our firm, you know, firm mission and strategy and make people better in all these ways while building it. We had no idea about that. But the benefit having done it is now I see the value of all those things. (laughs)
0: So you're apparently a master
1: of segues because
0: this takes me exactly, <laughs> exactly to my next question. In in the business development point you just made is a really interesting one. That's a very material metric you could use yeah. to evaluate the success of a training program. Yeah. Um, I think it sounds like you have very strong instincts about what is beneficial from the program and, and, and you know where where the value lies in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they resonate with a lot of the things that I think But but obviously at some level When you're spending a lot of money And making these huge investments You're going to want to be able to make the case And, and I, my question for you is Both, you know, based on your learning With the Milbank at Harvard program And other, you know, the first through third year training as well But also just more broadly for law firms How do you think law firms can and should Evaluate the success Of training programs for associates?
1: Right um, I, I think that um, there are obviously some common measures. For example, um, how do your associates value professional development on the American lawyer mid-level associate evaluation or whatever. And I think, you know, I I think those things are valuable. And when I get, when Milbank gets really high scores, I think they're excellent. And if we don't, then I disagree with them completely. And I think there's some value to what I just said because these scores are are so insane. I mean, someone gets a 3.95 and then someone else gets a 4.01, 4.01 and one will be ranked 30 places higher than someone else. And if you actually ask the lawyers what was the experience like, they were like it's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're really happy. You know, so um the vault similarly you hear things about that and we get very, you know, good professional development scores and that. So in terms of the objective measures, I think that's important. You should keep a track of it. If I was a 96, you know, then I would be worried about that. And so that's one measure, but that's obviously not the whole story.
0: Is, is retention, for example, of associates, is that an important metric? Well, for
1: you? We, we track it. One of the goals of this program was, you know, I guess we had three. One was to um, retain people a, in a really good way, two was to provide the best training so that we have the best lawyers and our client services the best, and three was to improve. Um, people's perceptions of Millbank to understand what we're about and what we're like so that the people who are interested in this type of an experience are drawn towards us because we want people who would be interested in something like this. I find the most important metric, as silly as it sounds, is the associate feedback. And we do an incredibly detailed job of having them give us feedback at the end of the program and then what I do is the next week I sit in the room with all the people who went And I say, please tell me what you thought about every class. And we go through every session and we get that feedback, good, bad, indifferent. We ask them what we could have done better, what we could do worse. I'll ask them questions like... I know that was great, and I know you loved it, but how is that of value to you? Because the Harvard professor is so great, sometimes you're just like, that was amazing, we must do it again. (laughs) But then you sit down and you wonder, well, did it really help us? Does that help our practice? Does that build for the next level? So, for example, our finance classes, we start basic, and we get more complicated year by year. So we're doing very detailed valuation issues in our third module, and you have to get there over time. So we go through that, and as a result of the associate feedback, for example, we have replaced professors. We have dropped subjects. We have added subjects. We've done a whole host of things: split one two sessions and one session into two, got rid of a session, and so on, and the feedback is the key and we've had such exceptional feedback from these c- courses i mean cl- story i mean comments like this is the best professional experience i've ever had thank you so much i can't believe you do this this is fantastic this is great this made a huge difference in my life i've done nothing else like this in my entire life things like that and our our scores on a scale of 7 are usually like 6.8 mm-hmm. so you know you sort of put it all together and also not just the associate experience. We have partners that have gone through this program by sitting in there and and experiencing it, and they're very high. I, I think we mentioned when we spoke earlier, I mean, one of the things that has come out of this program, three and a half years ago, we decided that we should develop a similar program for our clients. And now we offer a three and a half day program where we invite the general counsel of our clients and we put some partners in the room with them and we run a very similar program but shortened. And we are in a third year, we have 36 people coming to one in like a month. And the clients love it. So back to the original point, how do I measure it? I measure it, you know, in the objective third party standards, I measure it in terms of the feedback, direct feedback from the lawyers, retention, that was an excellent point you made. I measure in terms of our brand, I feel I'm biased, I feel like our brand is improving. I feel that, um, when people recruit at Millbank, the first thing they ask about typically is the Millbank at Harvard program. They want to understand it. They want to meet people who have been through it. We have definitely got people willing and interesting to come, interested to come to Millbank out of law schools because of this program. Mm-hmm. It shows a direct commitment by us to our lawyers. Um, and now our clients like it. So I feel pretty confident that, that we're doing a good thing.
0: Next, I'd like to ask you about an interesting issue that I think a lot about so it's a very interesting time in the market for legal services Uh, I think there are lots of changes coming I think a lot of people kind of uh, are a little bit this guy is falling about some of these changes in a way that's a little bit overblown. But, to be fair, there are certainly lots of changes happening. There's lots of client fee pressure. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the news recently about Microsoft going entirely to alternative fee billing, no billable hour billing anymore. There's lots of pressure to change the model. There's Developing technologies um, that may eliminate a lot of the kind of low level, more ministerial work that's happened over time. So maybe the leverage amount of the law firm might change and become the base becomes more narrow of that particular like, labor pyramid. So I, I would be curious, as you're putting together this curriculum, has there, has, there, has there been a conscious choice in any particular way to try to train for the future oh, of yeah. legal practice? Th- that's
1: a great question. and Absolutely. I mean, one of the things I should have said earlier was You know, one of the questions we get is, you spend a lot of money on this program. How many of your lawyers stay and become partners in this law firm? And the answer is, not many at all. And it's not because we don't want them to stay. Most people choose to do different paths. Um, But the result of that is, A, we're spending a lot of money for people that will go somewhere else, but we think it's valuable because they're the best lawyers they can be, our culture is the best they can be, and there are obviously advantages of loyalty and connection and so on. But for those that stay... Okay, For the people that stay through this program, we have made a conscious effort to try to train what we believe will be the best partners that we could have in this institution to deal with the way the world is changing. And so we have absolutely sessions that deal, whether it be with the you know fee arrangements and leverage and so on, but more specifically with strategy. I mean, we study cases about disruption in industry and how you cause it and what happens and how incredible, you know, I mean, these are not the cases that we discussed, but you could obviously look at Uber, or you could look at Amazon, or you could look at Tesla, for example, as all disruptive technologies that and, and all, all the car industry didn't feel that they were under any threat, right? They had all these barriers to entry that was going to make it absolutely safe. Because you know how hard it is to build, build an internal combustion engine and the size of a factory you need. But of course, if you don't build an internal combustion engine, all those Barriers to entry actually become barriers to change, and suddenly you're really exposed. Mm-hmm. So we study that in intense detail. I mean, that's our strategy classes. We have numerous strategy classes about what does that mean. We have classes in macroeconomics to understand what are the, what's going on in the world in terms of global economic issues. And we spend a lot of time talking about what is going on in law firms, whether it be AI, which is obviously the thing that everyone is, you know, not inappropriately freaking out about at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, completely agree that the law environment is under a great deal of stress. Um, I think we feel somewhat immune from it at this level of law firms that you've had experience at and which I'm in. But that doesn't mean it's not coming. It just means that we're further away from the, the credible change, but it's getting closer every day. And this program was is directly an attempt to try and deal with that, um, as is, honestly – Uh, The program we have for our clients, because we're always looking for ways to build connections with our clients, to create strong client relationships, to understand our clients better, because that's a large part of this program is you can't be a good lawyer for a client, unless you know that client really, really well. So we're going to teach you all the things that you need to know about clients so that you can understand clients better. We're going to make sure you can understand their strategy, their valuation, the, you know, the, their balance sheet, whatever else it is. And then if we also have the, the privilege of spending time with our clients in a setting like this and we get to know what they're like and what they need and what their pressures are, that can only help us as well. Um that that resonates with me because <clears throat> we had, we've actually written a piece on the on the blog about
0: the the coming impacts of AI and why, yeah. why lawyers shouldn't be scared of it. But one of the underlying theses of kind of our view of the world of AI is. <clears throat> I think data-driven decisions are, are very very good, and there's a huge scope to improve the way that we do business in large
1: law firms. Just yes, to benefit but ourselves, right? Absolutely. But
0: where the real high value is in being a client's truly trusted advisor, it's in it's in the it's in the emotional intelligence, and the communication skills, and understanding what they want and what they need, and helping them to understand what they want and need. Um, Certainly, knowing where the market is and where it might be going is really important, but but the job and the value that lawyers – good lawyers can add is much, much broader than that. And I think it's some distinctly human characteristics that are the things that distinguish great lawyers from good lawyers. I,
1: I, I, mean, I, and, I mean, look, you, you're, there's always an exception of someone who's just so amazingly brilliant that it doesn't matter what they're like as human beings. They're just so smart you're going to hire them, and mm-hmm. there are we know people like that. Yeah. But I agree with you that in my experience, the ones that do are truly exceptional are the ones that have this unique uh, combination. Well, it's not the ones. that There is definitely a group that have this combination of you know astute intelligence but an emotional capability that understands that organizations are just groups of people working together and that all of the things that we do on a daily basis on at a, at a business level involve humans. Um, so I completely agree with that there's no doubt that it's, I, I'm, I'm just, just talking you know off the top of my head about AI I'm, I've had a lot of AI people come in and tell me I shouldn't be worried about them you know and they tell me this wonderful story about how they're going to help me not them because really, it's going to free up my world to do the legal work, not the low-level work. And it's, it's augmented, intelligence. yeah, absolutely, artificial, artificial intelligence. Like yeah. And and we're, we're, you know, and and I think there's some truth to that. But I do think that the world is a different place than it has ever been before. So it's going to be very, very challenging. Let's discuss a related topic for associates generally,
0: but. Sp- particularly with respect to those associates who might want to make a run at partner, who might want to stay and excel at a large law firm. What, in your view, tends to be kind of their soft spots from a training perspective? What are the things that they more often than not really need to shore up? I suspect when you guys are de- designing the curriculum with the executive ed folks at Harvard, mm-hmm. there's a focus on, okay, where where do the weaknesses tend to be and how do we shore them yeah. up? And, and I, I know from our previous conversations, there's a transition from some more harder skills on yeah. the finance side the first couple of years to the more softer yeah. leadership-oriented skills. If somebody is picking a firm and wants to and really wants to commit to trying to be a partner at a top law firm, where do the weaknesses
1: tend to be? Well, the weaknesses tend to... I mean, I only, I've only ever been at Millbank, so I can only talk about my own institution and the ones that I've had some sense of. But I am always surprised when I spend time with other partners or COOs or executive directors of other law firms how similar we all are. We're remarkably similar. Um, and the the weaknesses of the individuals tends to be a reflection of the weaknesses of the institutions and the weaknesses of the institutions tends to be in, um, management of people and teams and leadership and communication. And that's because you tend to be taught by the people who taught you, who were taught by the people, who taught them and part, there's no training. And, and, you know, law school is only just beginning to do it. In fact, a lot of the things that we do at the Harvard program, law schools are now trying to do in the first and second years and third years, and I commend them for that. Although I think there are limitations about doing it so early, but at the end of the day, there is very little training on how to work with teams and people. And you're correct, and this is not for me. This was Harvard. They said, look, what they need in the first few years is going to be different. What they need in the third or fourth years. By the time they get to the third or fourth year of this program. They'll be really they'll start to get the lawyer stuff they'll be getting the finance and the valuation stuff but now they have to step up and they have to understand how to become a counselor and advocate for their client and how to also manage their team and themselves and their own leadership at the same time how do you become a leader how do you manage a team how do you communicate effectively and how do you build your practice and and and, and your business case all of those are the things that I think law firms are very we can. And the the the, this, the 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 information is pretty clear. The teams that do best are the teams that are a the most diverse in bo- both in sort of, you know, obviously cultural gender diversity whatever, but also in in experience. If you have a very sort of undiverse environment, you don't tend to think out of the box that much. You may be very good at what you're doing, but you don't tend to think out of the box. So, one, a diverse culture, and then two, a team that participates equally, meaning that everyone, when you added up the time that they contributed, contributed about an equal amount. Like I may be someone like I am being now that will talk for 10 minutes without a pause. Mm -hmm. That's that's one way of doing it. And then I may be someone who speaks for two minutes and then says nothing. But at the end of the hour, did I speak for 10 and did he or she speak for 10? Mm -hmm. The teams where you have environments where they're diverse and they're participating are the strongest teams now in order for them to participate you have to have a sense of um, security and trust because there are a lot of very smart people who will not say a word if they think they're going to be demeaned or they're not going to be listened to or treated badly or just there's such a personality conflict for example extroverts might be so assertive Not because they're smarter, just because they tend to think out loud and that's how they Mm -hmm. do it. Whereas an introvert who might be very capable may actually need to just go away for 10 minutes and think before speaking. If the extroverts are constantly dominating the meeting, then the introvert never gets to participate. We do um, an exercise um, and we group people based upon some information we have about their personality types. And whenever we group the same personality type into a team, so it's just one type, they always come bottom. Always. They always finish the problem early, and they always come bottom. Because there's no one disagreeing, and they just get it done, and they always do terribly. That's right. So, So... these are, not envir- these are not what I've just described. They're not things I think that large law firms talk about in terms of their project management or leadership. Are you creating diverse teams that are communicating equally and that feel safe and secure in the environment? Or are you simply looking for people like, oh, he seemed assertive in the room. I think he's good well she didn 't speak up well i 'm not so sure you know or whatever it is, and then you have all these things and and then you create incredibly smart people, but you 're not getting the maximum out of it yeah
0: true and it 's interesting it is a, it is a really important point that people need to be kind of empowered to contribute absolutely' in, conversations in their own ways, and it dovetails back around with one of the very early points you made about why you chose to start the program you did at the time that you did because there's a real power and kind of Contextualized and operationalized learning yep. so that you can actually implement it and use it. It's a very different thing to hear something passively and, all, and being asked to grapple with it, which is probably why Harvard uses the case study method so you learn things when you can actually deploy them. But if the team dynamics are such that you're not picking up a pen, right. you're just kind of turning
1: changes of somebody else, right. it, you know, you're not probably developing I, the same. I, thing. You know, I, mean, I, I know from my own experience when I was practicing more, you could give me the worst deal in the world, but if I liked the people, I had no problem doing it. Mm-hmm. But if you could give me the best deal in the world, and if I didn't like those people, I did not want to be on that deal. <laughs> you know? I mean, these things matter. And they matter more and more to the generation of lawyers that we now have, who in many ways are smarter and wiser, and then they're really saying, why would I put myself through that hell? You know? Why would I suffer for all of this? For what? And we, we believe strongly that you can do this work and have a good time, too. Um, so, yeah, and, uh, so to me, I mean, there are obviously other things, too, but it's 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 about people skills and management and leadership and self-awareness and understanding who you are. All the things which, you know, 15 years ago, people would have been like, no, you just have to be strong and dominant and, you know, and how do you negotiate a deal, for example? We do a lot of stuff in negotiations. I think, you know, 15 years ago, it was like, well, I went in the room and I just commanded them. <laughs> uh, and that was me banging my hand, hand on the table, uh, which I was told not to do. Uh, I, you know, I was dominant and I commanded them, whereas now negotiations is, I think, appropriately about, well, how do you create a bigger pie? How do you work out solutions that benefit both sides? How do you learn what the other side really needs? Yes, you need to be tough and yes, you need to be assertive. And there are some silly games that you've got to play through just so people respect you and listen. But at the end of the day, we're trying to, to make this better for both sides rather than just simply dominate. I mean, all these issues, I think, are relevant. Excellent.
0: Let, let's close by, I'm, I'm going to ask you to give advice to a couple of different constituencies mm-hmm. here. And feel free to take these. I'll tee both up. You can take them in whichever order you want. So um, the Millbank at Harvard program we're discussing kicks in in the fourth year, as we've discussed, and there's some important reasons for that. But clearly, associates are going to have interest in improving themselves in in really important ways in their years one, two, and three. So I would be curious if you had any advice for the juniors as to how they go taking ownership of improving themselves in ways you think are important, um, perhaps as informed by your experience with the program. And the second constituency I want you to help me give some advice to are law students. We just had a piece on the blog on, like, interview tips for for law students going through OCI. One of the component pieces of that was – Kind of understanding what you're looking for and what you need, and, and helping to identify what firms are the best fit for you. Mm-hmm. And we know that law students are very focused on like law firm training and professional development opportunities. So, if you are speaking to an audience of law students who are going through callbacks right now, what advice should we give them for what to watch for, look for, what signals to read, and and how to find firms that are going to nurture and cultivate. Right.
1: development. That's both good questions. So on the first one, which is sort of the first, I mean, as I said before, like, I presume whatever law firm you're going to go to will have good resources. I mean, we have, you know, in our first, second, and third year, we have numerous educational events and opportunities and training programs, and we also do public speaking training and writing training and so on, which actually links to your second one, which is you need to understand what a professional development program has. So as a law student going to a law firm. Well, it's a great professional development program, but what is it? So, for example, does it offer writing support? Does it offer public speaking support? Things like that. Um, But really, and this is, you know, where I'm going to be a bit boring, I think, Um, I think the first few years of... I think my bias is I think too much pressure has been put on young practicing lawyers that in order to do well, they have to master so many things and in particular that networking one. You know, where they have to meet everybody all the time and try and bring in business and do it. And I see I see people like crumbling under the face of the pressure of what they have or haven't achieved as a second year lawyer. And my view is that, yes, if you are naturally good or comfortable at making Communities, whether it be your law school community or your undergraduate community, whatever it is, you should absolutely do that. And you should try to get to know people. But I do think in the first few years, you should just try to do your job really, really, really well. And there was actually an article in The Economist last week about how, no, it was in The Times, I think it was the Times editorial uh, op ed or something, where it basically said, Yes, you you need to network to do well, but actually they're sort of showing that if you just do really well at your job, you will network. Meaning that the better you do, the more people you will meet, the more people who want to work with you, and the more you'll know people because you're just clearly interested in your job. In my
0: experience in big law, there's <clears throat> kind of two camps, at the, at the prestigious firms, there's kind of two camps of people on the business development front. It's the best business development you can do is just being exceptionally good at what right. you do. And then there's the other folks who are equally believe it's important to, to do well, right. but they're very focused on, like, in a proactive way, right. trying to gin up
1: additional connections. Right. And I'm not opposed to any of that. All I'm saying, though, for the first three years, if you're, if you're not a natural networker and you're worried about that, I wouldn't. I would just do your job really, really well because there's enough to do in the first two or three years that in order for you to do well, that in itself is an accomplishment. And if you come out of your third year at a law, law firm and they're going, boy, she's great. And by being great, you obviously want to do really good work, but particularly you want to give the impression that you want to do work, that you want to be available. And when those emails go out on Friday night saying, is there anyone to help, you say, yeah, I'm here to help. Because most of the time, they don't need you. It's, a, it's an emergency that never needed to happen anyway. And they won't use you. But if they know you as the one who's always willing to help and interested in the work, and you just focus on your job. And literally, if you just... It's like being at school. If you just got up for three years and said, my job is to study and do well in the exams. If law, law firms just, my job is to get up and work really hard at my job and be enthusiastic and do well at it for the first two, three years. That is the foundation for you to do whatever you're going to do next. And then... Honestly, I mean, you should be networking. Okay, fine. But it's an, that's, I think, in my mind, something that will click in once you started to master that stuff. In order to do well, you know, you need to write well, silly as it sounds. And if there are options to have writing training, take it. If you're someone who's not comfortable public speaking, and I find a lot of transactional lawyers do that. They they run away from litigation because they're frightened of being put in the courtroom. But then they suddenly realize that they have to speak on a conference call or they have to go into a conference room and control a group of people. See if there's public speaking training. I mean, take advantage of those things. And then learn the, the discourse. The chances are that law school won't have really taught you what business is about or what finance is or any of that stuff. And there are certain publications that I just recommend you read, uh, and they're obvious ones. You've picked the New York Times or the Washington Post or the Journal, and it doesn't matter which one it is. And just read it every day, and after two years, you will understand so much more than you did. And I personally believe, because I'm very biased, you should read The Economist on a regular basis. No one can read it from front to back every week. <laughs> I know that. But you can flip it from front to back every week. And so if you're having a crazy week and you don't have time to read it, just flip it. And when you see something of interest, read it. In answer to your question about how you determine what law firms are about, that's quite challenging now because they're all so great. I mean, I was looking at the middle-level American lawyer results, and there was uh, there was a 50th firm and a 70th firm, but when you actually went and looked at the scores, they were all really, really good. And there's a, there was an article in some magazine about the best places to work. This one gives you free gym, and this one gives you free dry cleaning. I mean, the fact is that law firms are really, they do a lot. They do a lot of good things. And because there's so much available information on the internet and their websites and all of the other stuff you know that's you go in knowing an awful lot so it's unlikely
0: but there is a bit of a signal and noise problem here right because there's
1: so much information i completely agree and i also have my own bias against certain (coughs) the vault reports or whatever it is you know in the sense of like how accurate that really is and is that community you know a uh, is that really the best community to understand what you're going to need from a law firm 10 years from now, 15 years from now? So, you know, you can get all that stuff. And I think your point is exactly the right one. Well, how do you work that out? So, one, you have to dig deeper, which is if they say I have a great professional development program, what does that actually mean? Two, you really should, once you've got those offers, you should go back in and you should meet as many people as you want that, for me, is a real big sign of a law firm. If they start, if they do it willingly and generously or they do it sort of grudgingly, are they really going to show you everyone? But, and then the most important one um, is how how do the people seem? I mean, it's the weirdest thing, you know. But I actually, because I teach in law schools and also I, I'm involved in recruiting, I do speak to people and they do say they go into some places and they just, people just don't seem happy don't make the decision of picking a law firm that people tell you is a great law firm when you didn't like it or you've heard bad things about it or you didn't get a good feel about it. Don't do that. I've seen people do that, and I don't think it's ever worth it. If you feel comfortable at the great law firm, take it. But at the end of the day, you're going to get offers from so many good law firms, it really won't matter. And it's really a question of how you feel, You know, how happy do they make you, do they have some breadth in terms of the practice rotation so you don't have to commit right away? Do they have an office in a place you might want to be? What's their alumni network like? But, but beyond that, it's, I think it's a, a really emotional fit in large part.
0: I, I, I couldn't agree with that more. Um, and I think your point, it's very well taken, meet as many people as you can. Yeah. You'd, you would, you'd be amazed, you wouldn't think so, but if you meet a dozen people from a law firm, you can get a pretty good read on what they're all about. Uh, I, I, would, I would caution, if you, if you have one bad experience... Yes. Keep it open in mind. I agree because some of my f- absolute favorite law firms I was about to write off as a result of the first interaction, but having now interviewed and then worked for a long time at these fir- with these firms, I know for a fact they're f- fantastic and the culture is probably as well. As this it gets. is it
1: because there are so many great firms with great cultures and um, and of course it goes the other way. You know, law firms are very smart at getting the very nice people who are very friendly out there to interview you, and they're very good at showing all of their great things. And that does not mean that you will be happy when you go there. You have to dig deep. Uh, But I think a certain level of um, realism is is in in play. Um, There are lots of great law firms, but all of the law firms, by and large, do the same type of work if you're looking at big law, for example. And so all of them are going to give you challenges no matter what you do. And that's why you really need to make sure that you're picking a place that has a community that you feel comfortable in, where you feel you can be authentically yourself, not that you're trying to fit into an image of what you think their lawyers should be, and a place that gives you real opportunity to to be trained and be assisted. And then I think it will work. Unfortunately,
0: um, it's time for us to wrap up. Uh, one quick last question for you, David. If listeners out there have any questions or in, interested in learning more about Millbank or the Millbank at Harvard program, what's the best that way for them to reach out, either to you or to the firm, for more information?
1: Well, we have a recruiting person on our website. They're always welcome to reach out to a recruiting partner and so on. And if, if they have direct questions about Millbank, they can email me. I'm available on my on the website. Excellent. Uh,
0: well, thank you so much for joining us today uh, and sharing a little bit about what Millbank is doing. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you have thoughts or questions about this episode or any other topic relating to associate development or legal tech and innovation, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out through our blog at blacklinesandbillables.com. Email us at podcast at blacklinesandbillables.com. Find us on LinkedIn or Facebook or tweet at us. Our handle is at BNB Legal, at BNB We'll be back again soon with our next podcast. Thanks for listening.